We've been working our way through the uh, Jesus Sermon on the Mount. This is the 19th sermon I preached on that famous sermon. So he preached one sermon, and somehow I was able to turn it into 19 sermons. Um, how do you do that? <laughs> well, one of the one of the reasons I think is as I was reading through that, there's just so many good things in it that you really need to d- drill down into and dig into. But also, I think that these this would have been a, a sermon that Jesus preached. It was an overview of the core teachings of what he believed, what he wanted to bring to our world, and then he would have sent his disciples out to go from town to town to town, and these were the, the lessons that would be the subjects of their sermons to, um, to the people around the, the area. And so I'm really kind of doing, as a disciple, maybe I'm doing what he was, would want his disciples to do. But today, the, the, the sermon is based off of just one single verse, and I bet it's one that you have memorized. Um, Now, in our modern times, people sort of lament that they're not able to remember memory verses. Maybe they know John 3.16, but I bet you know this one too. It comes from Matthew 7.12. Anyone want to guess what it says? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, you knew it and you didn't even know. But from the New Living Translation, here's how it says it. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've all heard this before. Probably we may not have even heard it for the first time in church. Maybe it was in kindergarten when we we heard it. I think that's where I first heard it. And maybe we can all remember a story of a time when we, we... practiced it or someone practiced it on us. I, I remember as a young kid in the seventh grade um, with a single mother. And so I was taking a karate class and my karate instructor started to come pick me up from my home and take me to class several times each week because my mom either uh, wasn't there to be able to do it, or she had other kids to tend to. We have four kids in our family. And so my karate instructor would come, and he would pick me up. And I remember after several weeks of doing this, beginning to think how much extra time he was spending going out of his way to come and get me, and spending extra gas as well. And I remember th- telling him one day when he was at the pump putting gas in his car, I'd like to give you some money to help with the gas since you're spending so much extra to come and get me. And he told me something that I've never forgotten to this day. He said, no, no need, no need to pay. This is my gift to you. And as I pressed him, he said, he said, one day you will do this for someone else. And whenever you do it for them, you remember you're doing it back for me. And I've always remembered that. And whenever I do something kind like that, I remember that I'm helping Jeff Carmichael pay back his gas in his car. But that's a, an example of doing unto others what you would have them do unto you. He was doing something kind for me, and um, probably someone had done that for him in the past as well. 
Do unto others what you would have them do to you. It's so simple that we teach it to kids in kindergarten. It's so simple that almost every world religion teaches some form of the golden rule. Judaism, back in the 16th century, said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. This is the entire law. The rest is commentary. Hinduism, in the 15th century BC, said, whatever, uh, this is the sum of duty. Do unto others what that which you would, uh, do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Uh, Buddhism in the 6th century said, whatever is disagreeable to you, do not do to others. And Islam, even in the 7th century AD, said, none of you will believe until you, till you love for your brother what you would love for yourself. Now, I prefer Jesus' way of saying it, do unto others. They would have you do unto you. But this seems to be a universal idea that has crossed cultural boundaries throughout time. People know that it is right to treat people with respect and dignity and kindness like we would want them to treat us. But if that is true, maybe it raises some questions. First of all, why? Why should you treat people the way you'd want to be treated? There have been, just as there have been many people throughout history who have said that's what you should do, there have also been people who questioned why. And there have been many people throughout history who have rejected the golden rule in favor of what you might call the law of the jungle, where only the strong survive and the weak are called, are culled from the herd. Why should you value and treat the weak, the less talented, the less beautiful, the less intelligent people of the world with the same dignity. And what about people who act like animals, who do despicable things? Why should you treat them like you would want to be treated? They haven't acted like you have acted. They've acted like animals, so why not treat them like animals? And philosophers and religious people have contemplated this for thousands of years. Some come up with some self-serving reasons why it is important. It is in your own best interest to treat others well. Maybe it might earn you a good reputation. You become known as a kind and generous person. It may open up some opportunities for you. If you've been good to other people, then they might, you know, if you scratch their back, they might scratch your back and help you out. So, it might benefit you to do good unto others. The only problem, though, with that kind of reasoning is, that kind of motivation is, sometimes it will not benefit you. And you might justify treating someone badly by thinking, well, I'm not going to ever get anything good out of this situation, and therefore I'm excused from treating this person well, it doesn't benefit me, it doesn't serve me, so why should I? And what then? Does that give you an excuse to break the golden rule? Not according to Jesus, and not according to the Holy Scripture. The Bible gives some reasons 
to follow the golden rule that's completely outside of humanity altogether and firmly grounded in the divine nature of God. In Genesis 1.27, he says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. We are all created in God's image. Every human being is a sacred image of God. And therefore, every person should be treated with dignity and respect the way you would treat a priceless work of art. Because they are a priceless work of art. They bear the holy image of God within them. Now, you could think of some of the priceless human works of art that we have been privileged to know about in our world. Maybe you might think of something like a painting by Vincent van Gogh, Starry Night. Or you might think of The Last Supper or The Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. Priceless works of art that have stood the test of time. Suppose one of those priceless works of art was housed in a museum. And a beautiful museum, but the museum caught fire and was burning down. And you looked at it, and people, humanity looks at this museum being destroyed with these priceless works of art in it. And how it would affect you, and how humans around would try to do everything they could to rescue that priceless work of art, to preserve it and to save it. They save it not because it was a beautiful museum, but because of the priceless work of art that is inside the museum. But what if that same painting was housed inside of a run-down shack in the middle of the swamp, and it was on fire? Would you save the work of art then? Absolutely. You would do everything you could to save that work of art from being destroyed in that shack, not because of the shack, but because of the priceless art that was in it. And you think of our lives. Some of us are more um, attractive than others. (laughs) Some of us have more hair. Some of us are smarter. Some of us are less intelligent. But within each and every one of us is a priceless work of art, the spark of God's divinity. His image is within us, every single one of us. And the outward shell doesn't matter. It's the image that is there that deserves to be respected. The truth is, we must guard this. We must treat people the way God calls us to treat them because his image is upon them. And when we treat people poorly, it's a a denial of the divine image that is within them. And that kind of behavior doesn't just harm the person on the receiving end. It also impacts our relationship with God. It's a form of disrespect to the God who who created and valued that person. It reduces our interactions to something less than human. We become less than human. When we treat people like animals, we become animals ourselves. And the truth is, anytime we retreat any part of creation without respect for the creator who created it, then we degrade ourselves. 
Jesus said, do to others whatever you would have them do to you. They bear the sacred image of God just like you do. And God loves people. God loves everyone. And if we love God, we should love what God loves. We can't see God, but we can see people. How can we say we love God when we can't even see him if we don't love people who we can clearly see and we see every day? And one of the ways we express our love to God is by loving the people he made in his image and even loving the beautiful creation around us that he made. And that's not just something that Jesus said. He practiced what he preached. He treated everyone with dignity. When some little kids tried to come to him, he, and, and the, all of the adults and the disciples was like, don't bother him right now. He's doing something important. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the children come to me because they are just as important. They have the image of God in them. And when he was on a, a trip to, through Samaria, and all the disciples went off to get something to eat, and he stopped at a well, and a Samaritan woman came up, a Samaritan who was despised by Jews like Jesus, who was a woman who was considered lower than men in that society. Jesus took time to talk with her and spend time with her and find out about her life and to share with her his true identity as the Messiah sent by God to save humanity. Because to him, she was important. And even when everything seemed to be going wrong, and he was hanging on a cross, dying in agony, with people spitting curses at him, he valued the thief, the criminal, who was dying next to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was, if I'm in pain like that, I'm not thinking usually about other people. I'm thinking about me and all the pain and how everything's going wrong. Here's Jesus in that same moment talking to a guy hanging on the cross next to him. And he says, this day you will be in paradise with me. The golden rule is so simple and universal. It's been known by cultures all over the world for over 3,000 years. And if people would just follow it, this simple world, the world would be so much better. So why don't we? I think the answer is summed up in one simple three-letter word, sin. God created us to love each other. But our sin is that we love ourselves more. We are selfish. We want to be in control. We want to do things our way. And when we want something bad enough, something about our human nature is that we'll, we're willing to do almost anything to get it. Even go against God, his laws and his principles. 
we're even willing to go against the purpose that we were created for. This is sin. It's captured in the creation story in Genesis when a serpent tempted Eve to break God's command and eat the forbidden fruit. Serpent promised that the fruit would make Eve like God. And that's often still the temptation. In some sense, we feel that if we could just bend the rules a little, we could just fudge a little bit, we will receive some benefit, some reward that is somehow better than what we have that God has given us if we obey. If we just break the rule, we'll somehow come out better off than we were if we obeyed. Today is the first season or the first Sunday in Lent. And Lent is a season of 40 days leading up to Easter. It's a time when Christians refocus their spiritual lives. Some may give up something as a form of self-denial in order to help them draw closer to Christ. Others may commit to do something, something positive, to live out their faith more authentically as a way to help them grow closer to Christ. Perhaps for Lent this year, you could simply make an intentional effort to follow the golden rule during Lent. Maybe you could even keep a journal through this season of your interactions that all day long you try to treat others the way that you would want to be treated. And then in, maybe in the end of the day, come back and, and think back over your day and, and write out in your journal the different interactions that you had and how did you do? Did you do well in some circumstances? Did you fail in other? And how might you try again tomorrow? This could be a wonderful way for you to try uh, to do something, to follow God's command and to grow closer to him through these days. In closing, though, I must say that you will always struggle with the golden rule until you surrender completely to God and become a Christian. There will always be a reason in your own human thinking, in your own sinful nature, there will always be a reason to bend or to break the golden rule until you finally surrender control of your life to God. When you finally come to that conclusion in your heart that Jesus really is Lord. He is Lord. Surrender to him. And let him be your Lord. Perhaps you'd like to do that right now. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Who taught us to love one another. And to treat one another as we would like to be treated. And to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Forgive us, O Lord, for the sin that we want to be in control. 
Help each one of us today to renew our commitment to let Jesus be in control. To live our lives for him just as he has lived his for us. If there's anyone here today, oh Lord, who needs to make that decision for the first time, I pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit to convict them that they might turn their life over to Christ right now in this very moment and commit to follow him as Lord and to seek your help through the Holy Spirit to live for him from this day forward. And Lord, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.